Well, it's so good to see you guys this weekend. I think we would all agree that we dodged a bullet last weekend. It could have been a lot worse for us. But, you know, unfortunately, our good fortune in a natural disaster like this is always somebody else's misfortune. And I know a lot of you are wondering as a church, Hope Community Church, what are we going to do? We ex- we're expected to respond because if you're new to Hope, we're not a country club. We're a church. We're here to make a difference, to reach the triangle, to change the world. You may remember when Matthew came through Port-au-Prince, Haiti, uh, we have a campus in Port-au-Prince, Agape campus there. And we had a walkout offering that weekend, and you guys gave, above your regular giving, $130,000 that we sent to our Agape campus in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and they used to put roofs back on houses and feed the community, but that's what we do. So you're wondering, what are we going to do about Florence? So let me just give you a few things quickly. One, continue to pray. Make sure that you pray, and I know that you are. Second, uh, supplies are going to be continued to be collected at our campuses for the next four weeks. I know a lot of people, there's a lot of energy at first and it dies off. Uh, We've already sent a team down. We've already sent two truckloads of supplies that we've collected at our campuses that have been distributed. Right now, we just got a message as of earlier today. They are desperately in need of food, non-perishable food. So as you drop off things this week, they're okay with the water and those kinds of things, but the food would be incredible. So continue to do that. And uh, what's interesting is we do a lot of ministry in India. have a lot of teams that go to India, several partners that we work with in India. And last weekend, had we been open, we were prepared to take an offering for India. Over 800,000 people were displaced because of a flood. Over 400 people died. And so we have churches there that we're working with. But then Florence hit. And so we decided this weekend we were going to take the offering. 25% of whatever we take in this weekend is still going to go to India, but we believe that the offering is going to be, and we've already sent some money, by the way, out of just our budget. And the other 75% is going to go to address needs in our community and in our communities down east. So how can you respond? Well, as you walk out this weekend, uh, there will be people at all of our campus doors. They will be holding a bucket. Everything you put in that bucket right there, if it goes in a bucket that somebody's holding, that is going to go for disaster relief in India and here in North Carolina. If you want to write a check, you can still make it out to Hope Community Church. You'll still get your tax deduction. But if it goes in that bucket, uh, it's going to go. It's going to go to the relief. Uh, if you didn't bring your checkbook, if you're not prepared, you can always go online and give. Just check out Disaster Relief Fund. Uh, you can pay online. You can give online. I know that most of you do that anyway. Uh, and I'm asking you to do this above your regular giving. This is when we sacrifice for those who are less fortunate. By having said that, let me just say one more thing about giving. I hope you had a great summer. You look great. Your tans look great. It seems like you're more relaxed than you were before I left. But I think a lot of you spent uh, God's money this summer building your own kingdom. Okay, instead of God's kingdom, I think you know what I'm saying. So we need to get back in the game financially. If you've kind of been checked out financially because of your vacation, hey, if you could make it up, that would be great. You say it's too late. Mickey's got my money. But anyway, maybe you can't make it up. But let's get back on track, okay? because we want to finish the year strong. We're serious about making the difference in our community and the world, and we can't even open our campuses without our continued financial support. And I know you respond because you always do. Now, this is the second week of our series, Your Choice, Your Voice. Uh, We're talking about the power that our words have on other people, how it impacts our lives, our relationships. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we kicked off the series, we're basing it off a verse that's found, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. And we began to unpack that a little bit last time. This weekend, I want to begin by looking at something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles this weekend, turn there, click on your phone, whatever you do. 
Matthew chapter 12. If you don't have any of those things, that's okay. We're going to put the verses up on the screen. Uh, you can always download the Get Hope app. Go to where it says messages. You'll find this week's message. It already has all the verses. In fact, all the main points right there. You can email it to yourself. You'll have notes for this week's and weekend's message. So Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is teaching one day, and this is what he says. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. None, you know, you're thinking, right, wow, Jesus is really into fruit trees, but that's, that's really not what he's talking about. I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler alert here. What Jesus is really talking about is our heart. And he's talking about that would be the tree and the words that come out of our mouth, that's the fruit. And so he's basically saying this, you got a good heart, you're going to say good stuff. You got a bad heart. You're going to say bad stuff with your mouth. In fact, he goes on and says in verse 34, Jesus says, you brood of vipers. And you read that and you think, wow, Jesus could use this message about the power of the tongue, right? But he was only tough with the religious leaders of the day. They, they, they thought they were better than everybody else. They were self-righteous. They were hypocritical. They were constantly challenging Jesus. So Jesus was kind of tough on these guys. And so he says in verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Let me just read that one more time in case you missed it. Everyone, and in the Greek that means everyone, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Verse 37, for by your words, you will be acquitted. In other words, there's life. And by your words, you will be condemned. In other words, there's death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Now, this is what Jesus was teaching that day. In case you have to leave earlier, I say something offends you and you just want to leave. But anyway, he's saying this. If you are a Christian, if you've responded to the gospel, the fact that God came down and dwelt among us, we talked about this last week, God became flesh, Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sins, three days later rose from the dead to verify he was the son of God who could take away the sins of the world. If you've gotten to the point in your life where you realize the only way I'm ever gonna get reconciled and restored back to God is through what Jesus Christ has already done for me and I accept that gift as the payment for my sin. God says, not only are you saved, God has changed your heart. And Jesus says, if your heart's been changed, then your mouth should change also. Now understand, I realize that's a process that takes place over time as we grow, as we're discipled, as we're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In this series, we're getting some ammunition, some tools so that we have something to work with. This weekend, I wanna give you three facts about words that we all need to be aware of as you begin to think about the cost of your words. Here's the first one, and it is actually words cost. Words cost. By the way, each one of these three facts, there's a lie behind. And the lie behind words cost is that there's no consequence to the things I say. There's no price, there's no cost to the things I say. But see, we know that's not true. For example, have you ever had someone say to you, may I speak freely? Have you ever been in a tense conversation and someone's listening, you really wanna know what they're thinking, and finally they said, May I speak freely? How do you respond? Of course, you want people to speak freely. Let me tell you something. We never really speak freely. Because understand, our words come with a cost. They come with a price. And I know, I know that according to the Declaration of Independence, 
We are endowed by our creator, by the way, not by our government. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. And the Constitution tells us that one of the rights, the First Amendment, is the freedom of speech. But does that mean that I can say anything that I want to say and not have to give an account for it? Doesn't mean that at all. For example, I can say anything I want to say to Laura, that's my right. Let me tell you something. If I say certain things, even if it's my right, I promise you it's gonna cost me. And I experienced that just a few weeks ago. I was, I was, I'm telling you what, I was getting ready to explode. You ever have, you ever that tense, you're just like, I'm, I'm gonna explode. You know, something's gonna die. You know, that kind of thing, right? And so I'm driving home from work and I'm white knuckling the steering wheel and I won't get into it, but I called Lauren and I said, listen, I, I gotta, I gotta get my breath, I gotta relax. It's a cloudy day, nobody will be at the pool. When I get home, let's put our swimsuits on, let's just go down the pool, let's just take something, let's just read for a while. It's like 4.35 in the afternoon. I just gotta, I just gotta relax a little bit. So we got down there and, and I start reading and I can't even focus on what I'm reading because my mind's all over the place. And finally, I just started talking to Laura about all the things that are stressing me. I had to get it out, talk to someone. And while I'm sharing, she had the audacity to ask me a question. And I, was, I have never said this in 40 years of marriage because I, I wouldn't even have a face. <laughs> but this is what I said. Could you shut up and just listen? Yeah, how do you think that worked out for me? <laughs> and I quickly learned and was reminded that words are not free. They come with a price. I mean, I could, it could have snowed in our house the next few days. That's how cold it was, right? And again... <laughs> I am so glad that I'm an American citizen. I think we're all glad if we're American citizens. But let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And when America is gone, and it may be sooner than you think, because I just watched the finals to America's Got Talent, and a dance team came in second. If that's not a sign of the apocalypse that we're about to go down as a country, I don't know what it is, right? But when we are gone, I am telling you, God's kingdom will still be here. People relax, presidents come and go. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my point is simply this, as a Christian, there are higher laws than our country's laws. And again, I am so grateful that we live in a land where we have the freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean that words are free. Let me just show you a couple of verses that make my point for me. This just kind of remind me that just because you think it, you don't have to say it. Or here's another one. Even if it's right, you don't have to say it. Now see, Laura got me on social media, right, to sell my book and stuff. And now I read some of the stupid things you guys put on there. And I'm like, I have got to respond to that. That's a, Don't know you can't say that. I did, but it's true. She, you can't say it, right? She's saving my job, right? Let me show you a couple of verses that just because you think it ought to be said, you don't have to say it. Psalm 141, verse three, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. How about that? Here's another one. Psalm 39, verse one. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I love this. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. Now, I know that would look funny. In fact, we grabbed a few pictures off the internet of what it would look like. Hannibal Lecter, there's the classic. That's not a good look. And here's Bane from Batman. That's not a good look. And even with Hello Kitty, that's not a good look. See, something over your mouth, that's not a good look. But you know what? That wouldn't be a bad idea for a lot of us. Let me tell you why. How many of you have ever said, made this statement? I probably shouldn't say that. And then what do you do right after you say that? You say it. And guess what? Nine times out of 10, 
we shouldn't have said it. We should have put a muzzle over our mouth. By the way, when we say, I probably shouldn't say this, understand, that's either the Holy Spirit, or common sense, or both, telling you that you probably shouldn't say it. But we say it and we pay the price because words cost. Here's the second thing I know about words. They hurt. Words hurt. And the lie behind words hurt is it's okay to say things if you're just joking. Or if you're in the South, you say, they're the worst person I've ever met in my life. Bless their heart. So you think if you say bless your heart in the South, it's okay. Let me show you an interesting verse. Proverbs 26, verse 18. I read this verse to Gary Vett. He said, is that really in the Bible I had to show him? And he's the doctor on staff, right? Proverbs 26, verse 18. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. How's that for descriptive? Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives, tricks, jokes around, that's the Hebrew word there, their neighbor, and says, I was only joking. I was only joking. You know what I believe this is talking about in Old Testament language? I think it's talking about passive aggressiveness. Anybody struggle with passive aggressiveness? Come on, seriously, anybody struggle with passive uh, three of us, a bunch of liars and lying I'm going to talk about in a minute. Passive aggressiveness, okay? I believe it's a spiritual gift. It's one of my top threes. I can't find it in the Bible anywhere, but I'm so good at it. It's got to be a gift. I mean, you may not know this. I love to kid with people. And I kid with people all the time. And part of it's just my personality. But this is interesting. Laura and I have been married long enough. She can tell if I'm really kind of just kidding around with someone because I really like them. And I feel comfortable with them. Or if I'm kidding around with them because they're getting under my skin a little bit. And I get a little passive aggressive, right? And see, this is what happens. We do that. And if the person that we're kidding around with gets hurt, you know what we say? I was just kidding. Like, that's okay. Or you know what? You're too sensitive. Or maybe, maybe we say, I didn't mean anything by it. Well, Matthew 12, 34 says, we did mean something by it. Look what it says. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now think about it. When we say something that we realize we shouldn't have said, we have got to learn, and this is something I've really been working on, we've got to learn and we've got to ask ourselves, where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? What tree is growing in my life that produced the fruit, that produced the words that just came out of my mouth? But by the way, let me just tell you, there's only one way you can deal with the bad words that come out of your mouth that hurt other people. You confess it and you ask forgiveness. I was wrong, will you forgive me? I was wrong, will you forgive me? And if bad words have hurt you, in other words, you've been the recipient of something, some verbal abuse that has damaged you, that's been spoken to you, I'm telling you, the only way you can deal with it is to forgive the person who said it. Let me tell you what I know about some of you. Some of you sitting here this week and listening, you're dealing with something today in your life because of something that somebody said to you maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you've never been able to let it go. They planted a little seed. They planted a little sapling in your life. And over the years, it's grown into a mighty tree. And I'm telling you, until you forgive that person, that tree is going to continue to produce fruit in your life. And it's not going to be the fruit of the Spirit. It's not going to be love and joy and peace and patience. It's going to be stuff like bitterness. It's going to be stuff like anger. It's going to be stuff like resentment. And the only way to get rid of that fruit that's coming out of your life. I'm telling you, you gotta cut the tree down. And the only way you can cut the tree down is to decide to forgive. It's not about them asking forgiveness. It's about 
You remember when Peter came to Jesus that day and say, hey, how many times, Jesus, do we have to forgive someone? And evidently someone had been hurting Peter over and over and over again. Like how many times is enough? And what did Jesus say? Well, pretty much as much as it takes. They hurt you, you forgive. They hurt you, you forgive. In fact, he said, you cancel the debt. You have to say, they don't know me. They don't know me. You may find yourself saying it a hundred times a day. They don't know me. They don't know me. I canceled the debt. That's the only way you cut down the tree that's producing fruit. By the way, that's how God forgives you over and over again, over and over and over again. No matter what you do, he can just continues to forgive you. Now, here's the third thing I want you to know about words. Here's the third fact. Words last. And the lie behind words last is that eventually, you know, they lose their sting, they dissipate, but they last. The negative impact can sometimes last forever. This is what James says in James chapter three, verse five. And we're going to really unpack James three next weekend. But he says this, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. By the way, do you know why the tongue can start a forest fire? in someone's life, it's because the forest is already there. Let me explain to you how it happens. You're kidding around with someone. You, you're needling them, you joke around with them, you kid with them, but then you see you drop a match because what you're not aware of is that there's five, 10, 15, 20, 30 other people that have been kidding them and joking with them about the very same thing. I mean, have you ever said something to someone and it was, out, it was like Mount St. Helen. I mean, they just, they just exploded on you. And you're like, wow, where did that come from? I, I didn't think that what I said was gonna get such a violent response. Why did that happen? It's because there was a forest already there. You just happened to be the one that dropped the match. So I deal with couples in my office all the time on a regular basis. And there's just going back and forth and going back and forth verbally. And finally, one of them will say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm tired of it. And often the offending spouse, they'll look at me and say, I, I, I don't understand, Mike. I mean, what I said, I told you what I said. What I said wasn't that big of a deal. And to be honest with you, what they said wasn't that big of a deal. But see, that spouse has spent years building a force through his or her abusive speech and hurtful words and then one day the match was dropped. I'm telling you, bad words last. They breathe death into relationships. In fact, I want to give you five deadly sins that we commit with our mouths that breathe death, that destroy, that kill our relationships. Let me just give them to you. Here's the first one, lying. I don't know anything that will breathe death into a relationship any faster than lying. This is what Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says this. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. By the way, this word detest that Solomon uses, it comes from a Hebrew word from which we get our English word idolatry. So I think what Solomon is saying is this. When, when we lie, we leave the throne of truth and we worship at the throne of lies. And the reason that lying is so detestable to God is because you got to understand, it is the exact opposite of his nature. God doesn't just speak truth. You got to understand, God is truth. And so when we say something that's untrue, we are going 180 degrees against the nature of God. Now, I'm just going to say something. For a lot of people, and this may affect you, for a lot of people, lying is a stronghold. 
And if you go back to our battle tested series that we did at the beginning of the year, you know that there are good strongholds that we can have in our lives spiritually and there are negative or bad strongholds, but a bad stronghold is a habit that you just can't break. No matter what you do, you can't stop doing it. And you feel bad about it, you feel guilty about it, and you confess and you go to counseling and you do all kinds of things and you say you'll never do it again and you go turn right around and do it again. And it hasn't just been going on for a year or two, it's something that's been in your life 5, 10, 15, 20, 20 years and no matter what you can't stop, stop. You know what you do? You can't stop. Listen, people, that's not just a bad habit. That's a stronghold. And there's only one way to overcome a stronghold. And it applies to every sin, not just these sins. We have to become accountable. Now listen to me. And we have to become correctable. And accountable has become a popular buzzword for Christians these days. I, I, I want accountability. I want someone to hold me accountable. But the problem is often people don't want to be correctable. Because if I hold you accountable and I see where your life doesn't line up with the truth of God's word, it's my job to say, well, listen, if I'm holding you accountable, you're doing this wrong. You need to do it this way. See, if you're not correctable, if you don't want to bring your life into alignment with God's word, nothing's going to change in your life. So you got to find someone who will call you on it. And when they point out it's wrong, you got to listen to why it's wrong. And you got to take their advice about how you change it. You got you to bring your life into alignment with God's word. So lying's number one. Here's a second one, stirring up conflict. Proverbs chapter six, verse 12. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eyes, signals with his feet, motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. But what I want you to notice is that someone who stirs up conflict will be destroyed. Solomon is saying this, saying this, it always comes home to roost. In fact, if you continue reading in Proverbs chapter six, you'll get down to verse 16 and you'll see that stirring up conflict is actually listed among the list of things that God absolutely hates. In fact, it says, these are six things, uh, Proverbs six, verse 16, the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him, verse 19, look what's listed, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Your translation may say, and I like it better, one who sows disharmony among the brethren. You know who this is in Christian circles? It's the person who goes around stirring the pot. It's the person who goes around asking questions, asking people's opinion, not to resolve anything, but to gather up momentum, to get people to agree with them. For example, you go to small groups and say, hey, before we start, what did you guys think of Mike's message this weekend? What did you think of that song, Freedom? It said you could dance in there. I grew up Baptist, see. You know why Baptists don't believe in premarital sex, don't you? It could lead to dancing. That's the problem. That's the problem. I had nothing to do with this message. What did you think of the lights? How about the sound? I get two questions every week. Why is it so loud? You know what the other question is from all my young people? Why isn't the music louder? You guys want to try to appease thousands and thousands and thousands of people about just the right decibel for their 
But see, we feel like we can just stir. My mom comes up to me. She comes every Saturday to the 415 service. She's 87 years old. She walks out and says, Mom, did you like it? Because they go to their little Baptist church on Sunday, real church. And so she comes, and I say, Mom, how'd you like it? I hated the music, but I liked your message. See, she's honest. She tells me. She doesn't go around getting up, a, you know, how, what did you think about this? She said, I hated the music. I said, Mom, here's the thing. If you ever walk out and tell me you like the music, I'm retiring because we have missed our mark. We've missed our target, Mom, right? Just so you know, that's one of the things that God hates. He hates that stuff. Here's the third one. You knew it was coming. Gossip. Here's the definition of gossip. Spreading intimate or private rumors or facts. And I use this definition because, see, a lot of people think that gossip is spreading rumors. It's certainly a part of that. But even if it's a fact, I'm telling you, if it's intimate, if it's private, you shouldn't be talking about it. I still gossip. Let me show you a verse. Proverbs 20, verse 19. A gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. What a great word. Don't hang around with chatterers. Let me just give you an example of how Christians disguise gossip. I want to share something with you so you can pray about it. See, that's what Christians do. I promise you that nine times out of 10, the person who shares that with you, they're not even praying about it themselves. In fact, I will guarantee you this, they're doing a lot more talking about it than they are actually praying about it. So don't ever get excited when somebody comes up to you and says, did you hear? This is what a great response would be. Listen, hey, well, before you share that with me, let me ask you, can I quote you? And then what's gonna happen, there's gonna be a long pause followed by extended silence, and they're gonna say, nah, I'm not sure that would be a good idea. And then your response is, well, you know what? Then I'm not interested in hearing about it. I'm telling you, it will shut it down every time it'll put a muzzle on it. Because let's be honest, gossip's ruined a lot of people. Look what it says, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. This tells us why it's so important. He who is always telling stories makes secrets known but he who can be trusted keeps a thing hidden. Let me tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ ought to be the safest place on earth for hurting, damaged people to reveal what's really going on in their life. It ought to be the safest place for someone to be able to bring in privacy the darkness into the light. This is what James says in James 5, 16. Therefore, we confess, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now think about it this way. You, you confess your sins to God so that you can be forgiven. But James says, you confess your sins to each other. You share it with other people. You get support and input so that you can be healed. I wonder how many people at all of our campuses, you're listening right now and you've been forgiven because God forgave you. But as you sit here this weekend, you're still not healed. You're still not healed emotionally, psychologically, mentally. And I wonder how many aren't healed because we're not applying this principle of confessing our sins to each other. And there's probably a couple of reasons we don't do that. One is, for example, uh, at one point in your life, you finally got up the energy to do that and the muster to do that. And you went to someone that you had sinned against and, and you, you wanted to be honest. You wanted to do the right thing. So you tried to take the godly route and you confessed your sins to them and they destroyed you. 
they just tore you apart. They rejected you. They said, there is no room in my life for you. And I've had this happen in my office between two people. Someone finally get up the courage and say, and then just get destroyed by someone. And I can look at that person's face and this is what they're thinking. Next time, I'll just keep this to myself. This is what I've learned about Laura over the years. I can tell her anything and she'll forgive me. I can tell her anything and she is not going to reject me. She's going to be hurt and it devastates me. And she's going to be angry, but she'll respond in a godly way. And trust me, over 40 years of marriage, I put that to the test. And when I was sharing with Laura this point in my message this week, and I told her I was going to use it and talk about her. And she said, well, you know, the only way I can do it, she said, I have to remind myself whenever it comes back to my mind, forgive as I've been forgiven. Forgive as I've been forgiven. I got to forgive as I've been forgiven. Let me tell you something. Don't expect the people in your life to come clean with you, to do the right thing. If you're not prepared to hear it and respond the right way. Don't expect them to be godly and do the confessing thing unless you're going to be godly in how you respond. And it's okay to be angry. Certainly you're going to be hurt. What does Paul say? Be angry, but don't sin. And we'll talk more about this next week, James chapter 3, but I'm going to tell you something. When you get abusive in your speech, when you reject, when you assault, you've sinned. And all of a sudden, you've gone over to the same category of the person who offended you by their actions to start with. So be careful. I think that's the first reason people don't confess. They tried it, and that didn't work out. But here's the second reason. It's because maybe they did it at church to someone. They went and told someone just to get it off their chest. And before they knew it, everybody in the church knew about it. Maybe you've never thought about it this way, but when you know something about someone, it's power. Character is having power and using it wisely. And this is why I think a lot of Christians will never have any power. It's because a lot of Christians don't have the character to use it wisely. So be careful with this gossip thing. Here's the fourth one, slander. Here's the definition of slander. A false and malicious statement or report about someone. And we hear the definition, and we think, I would never do that. There's no way my, but let's be honest, we do it all the time because so we hear things and we pass those things on and we don't have proof or knowledge that they're factually true. We don't know if it's fake news or not. Someone just told us and they seem reliable, so we pass it on. Did you know? Did you know? And when we do that, we're slandering it. This, is, this happened to us one time. I could write a book on this, but anyway... Um, Laura and I were traveling and I had just done a series on giving and generosity. And so she had started a small group and it had grown and like they're supposed to, they multiplied. And so she had trained a leader and this lady was now leading the new group. And she sent her a text while we were out of town. She said, Laura, I just want to give you a heads up that we were discussing the message on generosity. And one of the ladies in the group said she didn't tie their gift to hope because the church had bought Laura a car. And when I heard it, I was so ticked off. Not that she said it. They never bought me a car. You know what I'm saying? They never bought me a car. Let me tell you something. The church has never bought me a car. The church has never bought Laura a car. I get a salary just like you get. It's established by a board. I get reviewed a couple times a year. 
They tell me where I suck. They tell me what I need to do better, what I need to work on. They hold me accountable. They give me marching orders. They say, here's three things we want you to accomplish this year. My life's no different than your life. But I promise you, how many people walked out of that small group thinking, hmm, can I trust the integrity of my church and how they're using my money? You see how damaging slander can be? Let me show you how deadly it is. Psalm 140 verse 11 says this, may slanderers not be established in the land, may disaster hunt down the violent. And by the way, just when that's written, it's tying in the violent to slanderers. If you are a slanderer, if you're saying things, malicious things about people, you're a violent person according to scripture. How about this, Proverbs 10, 18. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Can you imagine what a great church this would be if we made a pact that we were going to stop right now sharing slanderous, malicious reports about people with others? Like the buck stops here. If I hear it, I'll go directly to the person that's concerned. I'll ask them about it. We'll get it resolved. But that's the only person that I will talk with about it. I'm telling you, it would change the dynamic of our church. Here's a fifth one, contentious speech. Here's a definition for contentious speak, speech. Disagreeable or quarrelsome speech. I love this verse, Proverbs 21, verse 19. Better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I like the old King James better. It's better to dwell in the corner of an attic than with a brawling woman in a big wide house. That's, I mean, that's just descriptive. Like, I'll just stay over here in the attic. You just go ahead, that's all yours, baby. See, I mean, that's descriptive. Nobody wants to be around a person. Here's another one. Proverbs 26, 21. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. We all know people who fall in this category, people who love to argue, people who love to just stir, call some strife, and that may describe you. You don't see yourself that way. You say, you're just playing the devil's advocate, right? Or you're just the realist. Or somebody's got to provide some ballast and perspective, right? But what you're really doing is you have, you're developing a quarrelsome, contentious spirit. I got to tell you, nobody wants to hang around with somebody who's always looking for an argument, who's always looking for a fight, who always has to have the last word. And again, if you struggle in this area, you got to become accountable. You got to become correctable. There's got to be two or three people in the different spheres of your life. When you say, when you begin to see this come out, tell me, that's it, you're doing it. You're doing it, stop it, you're doing it. You got to become correctable. Stro hey, tell your small group. Trust me, they already know this about you, okay? They already know this about you. But set, tell, don't let me turn this into an argument every week. Let them hold you accountable. Five deadly sins that we commit with our mouths, words that last. Now, I want to close by giving you some good news. I hate leaving with bad news. Let me give you some good news. Bad words last, but this is what I want you to understand. Good words last also. I want to show you a very interesting passage, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. It's a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul's in a Roman dungeon. He's been there for a while. He's getting ready to be beheaded, right? And while he's there, there's this young man named Timothy that he's been mentoring, and he writes him this very emotional letter. And this is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. And then he says this in verse 5. I am reminded, circle that word in your mind. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. This is what Paul is saying when he wrote this letter to Timothy. Now think about it. This is a guy who's getting ready to be beheaded for his faith. He says, Timothy, 
I know what you're going through. And he says, I'm praying for you. But when he uses the word reminded, he's using a Greek word that comes from two Greek words that are put together. And the root of one of those Greek words is graveyard monument. Now, let me see if I can explain it. When you see a gravestone or tombstone in a cemetery, it's not telling you to remember that somebody died. It's telling you to remember that somebody lived. So it's a remembrance of someone's life. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. I am building a monument of your needs before God. Think of it this way. This is the way I think about it. See, this is why a godly grandmother can pray every day for a grandchild. And 20 years after that grandmother has died, that grandchild finally comes to Jesus. It's because, see, she was building monuments in heaven for that grandchild. And, and visual pictures help me. This is how I see it. It's like God walks outside every morning to get his newspaper. And as he's walking down the driveway, there's all these monuments in his yard that this grandmother has built for her grandchild. And God has to walk past these monuments every day to get his paper. And then finally one day he says, you know what? We got to get that grandkid in the kingdom. We got to get that grandkid saved. Listen, bad words last. Good words last also. It can be an investment in people. What if every time you heard something negative about someone and your first reaction was, I just got to share this. I got to tell somebody. I want to tell them. They'd be so interested to know. What if you just stopped and built a monument before God in that person's honor? What if you said, God, I don't really know what's going on. Only you and this individual knows what's really going on in their life. So what I want to do right now, God, is I want to build a monument before you, God. I want you to intercede in their life, working. If they've gotten themselves in a mess, Father, bring the right people into their life to show them the love, the acceptance, the ability to confess, to move forward, to grow, to be held accountable. Father, bring restoration into their life. Let me tell you something. God never gives up on us. Why do you say we stop giving up on people and begin to build some monuments? I came across this poem I'll close by. I don't normally do this, but it's William Noah's, no, Norris, and I've had it in my file for years, but it says this. If your lips would keep from slips, five things observe with care, to whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. That's some pretty good advice. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, because as we're going to see next week in James 3, you can tame every animal on the planet, but we can't tame the tongue. But even though we're going to learn that it's humanly untamable, we're also going to learn the last week that it's divinely untamable, that it's divinely tameable. And that with you working in us, we can learn to control our tongue. That's what we're learning in this series. To help us to take these scriptures, apply them to our lives. Father, I know the work you've done in my life already just through this series. The time I've stopped, the time I put a muzzle on my mouth, the time I've redirected what I was going to say in a totally different way. The times I thought, just be quiet. So Father, I know with your power, your spirit, we can gain some ground in this area. Help us do that. And Father, if there's someone we know right now that we've offended with our words, may we have the courage to contact them some way this week and say, I was wrong. 
will you forgive me? We can never be responsible for their response, but we can do the right thing. And Father, if someone has hurt us and they haven't even asked for forgiveness, may this be the week we finally say, I'm cutting down that tree. I'm cutting down that tree. I'm digging up that root. I'm canceling the debt. I'm gonna forgive as I've been forgiven. And may we find freedom. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We're so excited to be a small part of all the great things God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download our app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. If you would like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.